message today on, on Mother's Day. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to, to give your tithes and offerings as I normally do every week in this venue and setting. If you've been mailing in your offering, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, the monies that you give to North Main Street Church of God uh, have been going uh, to various ministries and opportunities to help affect in a positive way those things that are going on in our community for those that are, uh, are the least of these or that have had needs. And uh, I appreciate your faithfulness in giving. So if you, can, if you haven't given but, but can't give electronically and you want to give, by mailing in uh, your tithes or offerings. You can do that by sending it to 1201 North Main Extension, Butler, Pennsylvania, 16001, okay? If you haven't given online and you're not sure how to do that, you are welcome to go to our website. It's www.northmaincog.org. And there's a give tab right at the top of the home page. You'll see that. If you click on that, it will walk you through how to give online. And if that doesn't work for you and you want to text to give, you can do that right now. At the bottom of your screen, there should be an, uh, uh, something that prompts you on how to do that. So there's a text number and the amount to give there. Check that out. Okay, now that those nuts and bolts are out of the way, let me get to the serious matter of our message today. Happy Mother's Day for all the mothers that are watching, uh, for all the women that are watching. We want to honor you today. We love you. We care for you. And I wish we could be together just to show you how much we appreciate you face to face. But under the circumstances, um, here we are. I, as I was preparing for today's message, I kind of broke off from my typical sermon series, and I wanted to look at the story of Lois and Eunice. Now, you may not know who they are. Those, uh, Lois and Eunice are, the, are the, the grandmother and the mother of Timothy, whose two letters in the New Testament bear his name. And we're going to look at the effect and the example and the impression that they left on Timothy today as we look at this, this concept of Mother's Day in the 21st century. Um, in a proclamation from a Mother's Day sermon, uh, one pastor that, that I was reading uh, writes this. He says, this is, mother, this is a Mother's Day sermon. I'm preaching without apology and with appreciation for that time-honored institution without the benefit of which we wouldn't be here. He says, every Mother's Day sermon I've run across starts with an explanation. This one is no exception, he writes. As ministers, we are reminded not to get too sentimental about motherhood because, first, for some, motherhood is an accident, and it's not always a welcome one. Two, for some, biological motherhood isn't possible. Three, for some, mothers weren't all that nice. And four, for some, motherhood under the very best of circumstances is still less than a bed of roses in a primrose path, he writes. If I can take some liberties, he goes on to say, with the poet Wilhelm Busch's words, I have to say, to become a mother is not difficult, but on the other hand, being a mother 
is very much so. So with all of those qualifications, why bother with Mother's Day at all? I'll tell you why. Because for all its stumbling blocks, for all of its pitfalls and broken dreams, for all the soiled diapers, soiled wallpaper, and soiled plans, we're talking about a beautiful ideal, a natural part of God's creative plan to bring love and caring to light. Motherhood is a constant demand for the gift of love and caring. Mother's Day, regardless, honestly, of, of personal past experiences for you, it does bring memories of pains for some of us, dreams for others, hopes, and many other thoughts and feelings, but the sacredness of the institution of motherhood is timeless. God's wonderful, perfect plan for mothers as a source of life, nurture, and love finds its source in the beginning of time when God created Eve as a suitable helper for Adam. She would be the perfect counterpart for him in his loneliness and bring about a completeness that he had not known up to that point within the created order. She would also be the mother of all of those who would come into being and hold a vital role in the faith and development of all generations to come. Now, some of you may scoff at this idea. You think about motherhood, you think about the sacredness of it, you think about all of the characteristics of love and nurture that I just mentioned uh, and about being examples of life. Because I think some of you probably feel that you fail miserably at that. But there's grace from God that covers a multitude of mistakes and sin and, human, and the human soul struggles against this constantly. Let me explain this. We, we are fallen creatures, men and women, moms and dads, children, grandmoms, grandpops. And, and the truth of the matter is, we aren't perfect. That's why there had to be a Savior who was perfect. God in the flesh, Jesus to take away the sin, the mistakes, and all the scarring of times past and times present and even times future. So we don't have to wallow in misery about all of our mistakes. If we are in Christ, we are new creation. Moms, are you listening to me? You're yelling at your children. You're losing your patience. You're doing any number of things can be forgiven and is forgiven in Christ Jesus. He fills in the gaps of our mistakes. And let me reassure you that God loves you and has created you with a purpose. And where you fail, He fills in those gaps. So today, let's look at this brief story within Scripture. Eunice and Lois are only mentioned very briefly in a couple places in Scripture. And, and, and they were not perfect either. But let me, let me explain their impact on young Timothy's life. 2 Timothy is our passage of Scripture today. Hopefully you've turned there. If you haven't turned there, take a few moments and grab your Bibles. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-12. through 12. We're going to be looking uh, at the New Living Testament. That's what I'm reading. Uh, you may have a different version of Scripture, but it will read very similar. So uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-12. through 12. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. 
This letter is from Paul, <clears throat> chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have, I have been sent out to tell others about the life that he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace and mercy and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, he writes. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, he writes. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you, are, uh, for you share the faith that was first filled excuse me, that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So, Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. Again, Paul is writing to Timothy from prison, just as he wrote to the church at Ephesus. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. What did God do? He called us, not just Timothy, but all of us who are believers in Christ. He called all of us to live a holy life in Christ Jesus. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the very beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life by immortality through, uh, through the good news. And God chose me, he writes, to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That's why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Okay, so what do we take away in those 12 verses of Scripture? Those 12 verses that Paul wrote in a letter to Timothy to encourage him to stay strong in the faith, this young believer who had been entrusted with the responsibility to lead the church at Ephesus. What does Paul say from prison? And what should we take away from that today, specifically with regard to Mother's Day? Well, let me point out the key point this morning, and that's this. The genuine faithfulness of a mother, and dare I say a grandmother, is priceless. The genuine faithfulness of a mother is priceless. The women in Timothy's life, his mother, his grandmother, though not perfect, they were faithful. That is what Paul claims of them, that they had genuine faith, and that genuine faith carried on in Timothy's life. And it's their faithfulness to God and their nurture and guidance of Timothy that they, they left a lasting legacy and foundation for his personal development and spiritual growth into manhood. Without their faithfulness, Timothy would have undoubtedly been at the mercy of the processes of the mechanisms of the world. 
And as we read through Scripture in Paul's letters and some of the pastoral epistles like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we read that the world juxtaposed against God's kingdom and God are completely opposing. But Timothy carried on the faith of his mother and his grandmother, thus opposing the world and shunning it and casting it off and following in the faith's footsteps of his mother and his grandmother who had followed in the footsteps of Christ. Though mentioned only briefly, as I mentioned just a moment ago, this is one of those passages. They're also mentioned a little bit in the book of Acts. Um, we see the powerful effect of their influence on Timothy's life. What, what can we specifically take away from this passage of Scripture about the influence they had on Timothy's life? Well, the first is this. It's that Lois and Eunice had genuine faith, as I just mentioned. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, it talks about the genuineness, not only of, of Timothy's faith, but that genuine faith was rooted in the genuine faith in Christ Jesus through his mother and his grandmother. The word for genuine, if we, if we look that up in the Greek, it's actually a fuller context. In the King James Version, it means unfeigned. But the word genuine written here in verse 5 to describe Timothy's faith was rooted not only in his grandmother and his, his mother's faith, but in this fuller sense, we can translate and understand this word in this way. It, it means sincere. It can mean with, without dissimulation or without hypocrisy. I wonder if it can be said of, of many of us that our faith was just as genuine and sincere without hypocrisy and unfeigned. I would like to think that that is my living legacy and testimony. And I bet that was what, that's what you would like for your living legacy and testimony to be too, is that you were unhypocritical, that your faith in Christ was so solid, so genuine, so sincere that nobody had a question about where and how you were rooted. I would like to think that our hope and our faith in Christ precedes us, wouldn't you? What we do know for, for a fact, however, is that Lois and Eunice's faith was this kind of caliber. It was at this level. I mean, Paul, the one who wrote most of the New Testament that we now consider as canonized scripture, tells us that. As the young Timothy grew from a boy and into a young man, the seed of genuine faith planted in his life from his mother and his grandmother cultivated and grew into maturity, so much so that Paul took him under his wing as a protege or a spiritual son, if you will, and entrusted the church in Ephesus to his leadership. And we have a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in the New Testament talking to that church. And then in Rome, or not Romans, in Revelation chapters 2, 3, and 4, we see the letter uh, from Christ through the Apostle John written to the church at Ephesus. This, this church at Ephesus holds not only symbolic influence, it holds a place within time, a place within Scripture, a place within holy faith. This church that Paul worked with, and entrusted to Timothy's leadership. 
Though Timothy would grow up in a divided home uh, with regards to faith and spirituality because we read about a little bit about his father who more than likely was not a believer, and I'll get to that in a minute. The maturity and the growth that he incurred was a direct result of the example and the teaching from the women in his life. And if you, let me pause and step aside here for just a minute and, and say this. Uh, women get a bad rap in many denominations and traditions. They are held back from authority and leadership and all of that. And I don't want to get into the huge debate on that right now. We are a movement of churches, as the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, that believe in the full gift mix entrusted not only to men, but also to women for preaching, for reproof, for teaching for leadership and eldership within the church. And we have good biblical basis to believe that. But here's what I want you to see with regard to Timothy, is that the ones that had the most solidifying uh, example and effect and influence on his life were the women in his life. I can relate a lot to Timothy because I grew up in such a home. My, my grandmother who passed away and whose funeral I did a couple weeks ago, she was a bulwark of faith for me. Her gentle spirit, her patience, the, the evidence of her relationship with Christ so, so emanated from her that it changed me. When my mom and I began going to church when I was 11 years old, my mom rededicated her life to the faith that she had grown up with as a child under my grandmother and my grandfather. And so my grandmother and my mother were these great examples, just like Lois and Eunice were for Timothy. Without my grandmother and my mother's influence in my life and their example in my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be a minister of the gospel. I don't believe that I would. I attribute my faith and the strength of my faith and the desire to pursue God in a relationship with Jesus Christ all the way back to when I was growing up under the tutelage of my grandmother and my mother. My unbelieving father was not a help to me, just like Timothy's unbelieving father wasn't a help to him. The faith that he had was attributed to the influence of his grandmother and his mother. The indelible imprint of Lois and Eunice's faith on Timothy would end up honestly having this eternal and lasting effect, not only on his life, but on those to whom that he ministered the gospel of Christ. I've pastored as an associate pastor at a church in Lakeland, Florida on staff there. I've senior pastor to church in Dayton, Ohio. And I've now been the senior pastor of North Main Street Church of God for the past going on eight years. And I know because of the faith of my mother and my grandmother and their influence on my life that they've not only impacted me, but the ministry and the ministries in which I've been a part of have affected in a positive way the faith of other people that I've ministered to. Do you see how all of this joins together? The second thing this morning, and the last thing I have, is that Lois and Eunice had this unabashed faith. Now, what's unabashed? 
It's unembarrassed. They were not ashamed. They were unabashed about their faith. How do we know that from this simple verse of Scripture? How do we know that they were unabashed about this? Now, let me give you a little bit more backstory to Timothy's upbringing. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, go ahead and turn there, Luke, the author of the gospel that bears his name, gives us more information on Timothy and his background. Here's in Acts chapter 16, uh, those first five verses read like this. Paul, here we are at Paul again, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was this young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer. What is that? Let me stop there for a minute. Jewish believer. She was a Jewess who had come to believe in Christ. She had gone from Judaism and converted to Christianity. But his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy who had a Greek background because of his Greek father, he arranged for him to be circumcised before they left. I'll briefly talk about that in a minute. For everyone knew that his father was Greek. Verse 4, Then they went from town to town. Paul took Timothy with him, again, as a spiritual son, as a protege. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Now, if you want to know the decisions that were made by the apostles in Jerusalem, all you have to do is back up one more chapter in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 15. This is the very first church council meeting. And you can read what they determined as the church leadership on how to move forward with Gentile and Greek believers. And so I digress, go back and check that out. But here we, we find evidence of, of Paul taking Timothy under his wing at such a young age and, and bringing him along with him. And we get a little bit more of the background of, of Timothy and his upbringing and, and, and his parentage, if you will. What we notice about Timothy's upbringing is not only the genuine faithfulness of his mother and his grandmother, but also their willingness to stand in opposition to other family members who did not believe. Now, their opposition isn't expressed in this kind of obstinance or blatant defiance, but as a gentle, peaceable contrast to Timothy's father, who was a Greek. Now, strictly speaking, when we read what Luke writes in Acts chapter 16 about Timothy's father being a Greek, there's a lot more under, uh, that's underlying uh, that, that, uh, that language. So let me kind of break this down a little bit. Strictly speaking, to reference Timothy's father uh, this way is in essence to say that he did not share the rest of the family's faith in Jesus. Um, oftentimes in the New Testament, the word Greek or Gentile usually refers to those who are outside of Judaism or outside of the faith of, of Christ or of Christianity. Um, they would typically be known, if you, to be called a Greek or a Gentile, would, would typically be known to be heathen or pagan and not believers in God or Christ. Thus, we don't get any indication that Timothy's father shared in the Christian faith because here's the truth of the matter. If that were truly so, Luke would have mentioned it and so would have Paul in, in 2 Timothy. 
It should also be noted uh, that as they lived this way, Eunice and, and Lois, that, that they didn't stop being believers in Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, just because Timothy's father didn't. Listen, let me, let me give you an explanation of that. Uh, a lot of times, uh, fathers or the, uh, the other parent in the home who is not a believer in Christ, and there is, say, the other parent is a believer in Christ, there's tension. I don't know if you know that. You may have grown up like that. I did. I remember from the age 11 on when my mom rededicated her life to Christ, as I mentioned earlier, and we started going to church regularly and assembling with other believers, and, and I started going to youth group. My dad started getting not, not physically violent, but just volatile. He'd get angry. Well, why don't you just go live at the church, he'd say. Why don't you take your bed and, and just sleep over? You're there all the time. He was starting to get jealous of the church. And even in Timothy's day and age, there were underground churches. There were churches that would meet in homes. They dedicated themselves. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Read about how the early dynamic of the church gathering together was. It was a constant daily thing. I'm guessing if Timothy's father was not a believer in Christ, he probably got a little irritated and annoyed by Lois. And, or excuse me, Eunice being out of the house so much with the church. I don't think she disrespected her husband because I think that they were such genuine women of faith that they wouldn't have done anything to just blatantly stick it to anybody. I don't think that's what a true believer does. They, in humility and peaceably and in all gentleness, love, but they don't stop believing in Christ. It should also be noted that in deference to the Jews, and let me get to this real quick, <laughs> Why did Paul have Timothy circumcised? Because if you read, like I said, in Acts chapter 15 at the First Church Council, they kind of abolished that, that, that routine or, or that, that ordinance of having people circumcised. And that was a Jewish custom. Were the Christians going to continue it? And the early church council said, no, we don't want to put those heavy restrictions on, on believers coming to Christ who are Gentile believers. So no, 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 they don't have to do that anymore. So why did Paul do that? Well, Paul makes the concession, I believe, to have Timothy an uncircumcised uh, Greek from birth who had a Jewish mom, I believe he has him circumcised as an adult so as not to inhibit the gospel of Christ in any way. Sometimes, now think about this for a minute with me, sometimes doing those things that seem inconsequential or unnecessary is crucial in breaking down barriers for others to receive the gospel of Christ. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul talks about eating meat offered to, to idols. Are we allowed to? Are we not allowed to? And, and here's what Paul airs on the side of if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, eating meat is eating meat, whether it's offered to idols or not. Idols aren't real, he goes on to say. So why even worry about it? It's a, it's a silly, nonsensical thing. But he says, if my eating meat offends a brother or sister, another believer in Christ who may be weaker in the faith, what does he err on the side of? He says, I'm not going to do it. Same thing for drinking alcohol. All right, There's no issue about drinking alcohol in Scripture. There is an issue about getting drunk or being taken by too much wine. I know I'm probably going to get some letters or responses about that, but let me just explain this really quick. There's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. And no, it wasn't just grape juice. It was fermented. That's why we have uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the bags of wine uh, 
they, 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 you wouldn't put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because the fermentation process would stretch out the leather of the wineskin. Needless to say, if my drinking alcohol or a glass of wine offends a brother or sister who's weaker in the faith or who has an issue with that, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I'm going to err on the side of love. That's what he gets to. If you read the whole of 1 Corinthians, he's talking to the church at Corinth about love. Now, let's step back into Timothy's shoes here. He has this faith that's rooted in his mother and his grandmother's faith in Christ Jesus, and he follows in the footsteps of Christ through the faith of his grandmother and his mother. And now... Paul takes him under his tutelage and says, listen, I, I don't want there to be any objection to you ministering the gospel of Christ. So even though it's not a major issue now because of the church council meeting and because honestly we are new creations in Christ Jesus, it matters more the circumcision of the heart than it does the circumcision of the flesh. I want to have you circumcised so as it's not a stumbling block to those that have an issue with it. Do you see what he's saying here? The issue with circumcision not being necessary for conversion to Christianity was settled in that church council meeting in Acts 15, but Paul thought it was necessary to have Timothy do this so that this wouldn't be a stumbling block to reaching the Jewish people with the gospel of Christ in Ephesus or anywhere else that Timothy might go. Regardless of Lois, regardless, Lois and Eunice, let me get back to their story really quick here. They didn't stop being open, faithful believers in their home, in their community, and it was their unwavering faith in Christ and their dedication to the scriptures. Did you catch that? Their dedication to the scriptures that they raised Timothy with. What were the scriptures in that day and age? The scriptures they had were the Old Testament. And the prophets that pointed to the Messiah, who was Christ, and Christ fulfilled all of those prophecies. We just talked about that over the Easter season in several of our sermons. They imparted that faith to Timothy. They raised him with the base knowledge and the root of Scripture. That's why I, I relentlessly preach all the time about being students of the Word of God. Why is it so important to be a student of the Word of God? So that you hide God's Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. Psalm 119. Lois and Eunice knew the importance of raising their son, their grandson, with a rooted foundation in Scripture. So that as he grew, he wouldn't depart from that faith or from that word of God. The Life Application Commentary on the New Testament has a writing about this homegrown faith that I thought was worth, worth uh, relating to you this morning. Listen to what it says. Don't hide your light at home. Families are fertile fields for planting the gospel or gospel seeds. Let your parents, children, spouse, brothers, and sisters know of your faith in Jesus and be sure that they see Christ's love, helpfulness, and joy in you. Being a faithful witness to one's own family is a Christian's best challenge. Did you catch that? It's not the worst challenge. It's the best challenge for it is a daily task because those who know you and love you and who live in your home see you warts and all. 
but along with it comes the incomparable joy of having part in the conversion of those closest to us. As I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a home much like Timothy, where I had a strong foundation of faith through my grandmother and a strong foundation of faith through my mother, Louise and Karen. And because of the faithfulness of my mother, to stay in a relationship with my father, my stepfather, who really hated and resented us at times for being a part of the church and for being believers in Christ. And at times throughout my upbringing, thinking that we were so stupid and believing in something that he deemed fictitious and even abusive in some ways. He thought the church, all, all they ever wanted was your money and played mind games and brainwashed people. You know my story, most of you. My father passed away two years ago in March 2018. It's been different without him. Two years before he passed in 2016, he actually came to Christ and gave his life to Christ in a very radical and transformative way. Those last two years of his life, there was a definitive change. We don't know if Timothy had that with his father or not. We aren't told that. But in my situation, my father did ultimately come to Christ. And I know for a fact it was because of the faithfulness of my mom and even my grandmom, who my stepfather loved and respected very much. My dad, when he walked down to the altar that one morning, grabbed my mother and took him with, 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 took her with him down to the altar. And I remember the testimony of my mom and even from the lips of my own dad, I remember them saying that he was just a mess, broken up and didn't know what to do. And he told the pastor, I don't know what to do. She knows what to do. She's done this, but I don't know what to do. And in that moment, he received Christ. I believe if my mom had given up on him, he'd still be lost and would have died not knowing Christ. Because of the faith of my mom, my dad came to Christ. There's no question in my mind. Maybe somebody in your home or a loved one that maybe doesn't live in your home, but somebody in your family maybe even a close friend who you've spent most of your time with throughout the course of your life, a school friend or somebody, co-worker, have seen you and know that you have a faith in Christ Jesus. Don't give up on them. Please don't give up on them. Because of your faith, there is light in their life. Whether they believe it or not, whether they reject it or not, you continue to illuminate that light, continue to bring them in to the gentle place of serenity through the joy that you bring, through the love and the peace that you give them. Don't cut them off. Don't hide your light. Let me conclude with this. In an article entitled, who were Lois and Eunice in the Bible? You can find it online. Uh, it's by author Michael Haldeman, H-O-U-D-M-A-N-N. -N. He writes, 
These women's example shows that, be that believing family members have a responsibility to raise their descendants to know God's Word. A grandmother has the opportunity to instill the groundwork for faith in her grandchildren. That responsibility does not rest solely on the parents. Furthermore, Eunice, Timothy's mom, her example shows that a mother should not defer the spiritual health of her children to a non-believing father. Paul's example further encourages us to take on the responsibility of mentoring those who may not have godly family members to follow. So none of us are off the hook. We should all be investing our lives into somebody else. I've heard it said, <laughs> I digress a little bit here, we should all be a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas to somebody just as much as we should all have a Paul a Barnabas or Tim, Timothy in our lives. Now, what, what do I mean by that? A Paul is somebody of wisdom and spiritual stature who, who we allow to speak spiritual truth and give us godly counsel. A Barnabas is an encourager, a peer who walks alongside of us, not only challenging us and holding us accountable in the faith, but walking along with us. And a Timothy is someone who is under our tutelage. We should not only have that in our lives, we should also be that in other people's lives. Do you have a Paul, a Barnaby, a Barnaby, a Barnabas or a Timothy in your life? Are you a Paul, a Barnabas, or a Timothy in somebody else's life? Let me continue with the thoughts of Michael here. He says, ultimately, Timothy was not the only person to benefit from the godly influence of his mother and his grandmother and his spiritual father, Paul, but the entire church in Ephesus reaped the benefits of their godly influence on his life. Paul was right to recognize Lois and Eunice by name for their part in establishing Timothy in the faith. Perhaps, he says, one day, other mothers and grandmothers of their children children will be recognized for their faithful influence as well. This Mother's Day, I would like to close with an affirmation written by John Killinger in his book, Lost in Wonder, Love, and Praise. Listen to what he writes. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who was born of the promise to a virgin named Mary. I believe in the love Mary gave her son that caused her to follow him and his ministry and stand by his cross as he died. I believe in the love of all mothers and its importance in the lives of the children they bear. It's stronger than steel, softer than down, and more resilient than, greens, than a green sapling on the hillside. It closes wounds. It melts disappointments. It enables the weakest child to stand tall and straight in the fields of adversity. I believe that this love, even at its best, is only a shadow of the love of God, a dark reflection of all that we can expect of Him, both in this life and in the next. And he concludes with this, I believe that the, one of the most beautiful sights in the world is a mother who lets this greater love flow through her to her child, blessing the world with the tenderness of her touch and the tears of her joy. The genuine faithfulness of a mother is priceless. I know 
that you who are listening to this broadcast this morning have the potential to be genuine, loving moms and grandmoms. I know many of you who are, but be encouraged. And here's why. Because no matter how imperfect you have been, you can be made perfect through Christ Jesus. No matter how imperfect you have been as a faithful mother in Christ Jesus, God fills in your gaps. Take heart, take courage this day. Be encouraged that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Please know that. If you're weary this morning, please know you can find rest in Christ Jesus. I know that sometimes in the midst of situations like this pandemic that we found ourselves in, you as moms and grandmoms have found yourself at your wit's end, either trying to teach your children or to bring hope and life to your children who are probably bouncing off the walls. Take heart, take courage. You are not a failure. You are loved. Happy Mother's Day. Until next week, I love you. God bless you. We'll see you soon.